Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the hydration watermelon smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Hello to you, No Encore listener. Just a quick note before we start this episode. Unfortunately, there was a technical issue with Craig's microphone that we didn't pick up on until approximately 50 minutes into the show, around about the top five section kind of getting into gear. So, yeah, listen, you can't win them all. And it's not so bad that it's terrible, I hope, but it's obviously quite noticeable. So I just wanted to throw in a very quick disclaimer here at the start just to flag that and prepare you for Craig sounding, you know, 70% as, as amazing as he can sound. But I, I still think it's okay. Adam did a fucking Herculean effort, as always, to try and make sure that it wasn't a complete disaster. But as you'll hear in the episode, as you'll hear now in a moment when I actually throw to an outtake from the review section, um, yeah, listen, every now and then you get one of those weeks where, unfortunately, technology conspires against you. I hope this won't affect your enjoyment of the show. And with that in mind, let's listen to that outtake and the episode think maybe they might uh, there's a couple of things i think have kind of come into play oh jesus i have no idea what's happening right now hang on <laughs> let the lads speak for themselves <laughs> literally coming into play phenomenal have n- that's your intro sorted i don't know where it's playing from <laughs> My name 
is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore. That's what it would sound like every week on the No Encore Music Podcast if I was doing a disastrous attempt at a robot voice or some kind of, I don't know, Craig, some kind of hip young music house. Is that how they talk? Is that a thing? Yeah, you sound like, I've been listening to a lot of BBC Six Music of late, and you sound like the, the presenters that slightly irritate me. Whereas usually in your normal voice, you sound like one of the presenters I wish they had. Hello. <laughs> oh, listen, uh, he's like straight out of lockdown and straight into my heart. It's Craig Fitzpatrick, everybody. It's happening. How are you, man? Uh, yeah, we were just discussing before we hit record that we're both a bit tired in general wrecked. and wrecked. Yeah, and knackered. Yeah. I'm actually on quite the cocktail of stuff. A very beige cocktail. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Go on. I've been very busy in work, as you know, because you were like, I'll handle the running order, don't worry, which I appreciated. Um... But today I was like at a few presentations and stuff. I was like, I'll take a Valerian root capsule. Do you know what they are? They're like a kind of, they're kind of for like better sleep, I think. But they just, they're supposed to chill you out. So I had one of them. I had a lot of coffee though as well, just because I had a lot of work to do. I'm on the green tea. So I was hoping I'd have like an energized calm buzz. But now I'm just like anxious about the fact I'm really sleepy. It's like a Holland yeah, and Barrett kinda... fucking burnt out <laughs> nightmare scenario. I kind of I, I kind of crashed out of nowhere, so I don't know what's going on. But like, listen, the listeners don't want to hear this. They want to hear this upbeat and cool. Yeah, man, that's what like, like that's what the show is. No encore, everybody, on the Heads of Podcast Network, of course. Uh, back at it once again. On this episode, we'll be reviewing the new album from Disclosure. It's called Energy, so hopefully that will help us out. <laughs> Who knows? Need it. And uh, our top five this week, because everyone's gone back to school, because it's safe again, apparently. Uh, top five school-related songs, and we'll find out what kind of tenuous nature that takes on later on. It's a bit <laughs> Of a, it's both simultaneously broad and curiously barren. I thought, but I promise oh, really? you, my top five. Well, I think my top five is good, man. But like, it, it, it took a bit of work getting did, there. Did yeah, you? Pretty much because I think we we quickly agreed on this one because it felt like one of those like no brainers. It's like, of course, this is rammed with songs. Did you then have that moment where you like? had to start thinking of songs and you're like oh fuck <laughs> there's like none that i like for a second you know what i mean uh, it came down to about like 10 o'clock on wednesday night and i was like oh christ i haven't sent adam any audio yet oh no i haven't actually done my top five yet uh <laughs> and it was like uh this one makes sense yeah that one yeah once i finally got my head together it was uh it came together fairly well i'm fairly happy with it but we'll find it later on in the show in the meantime as noted uh as noted on every episode we are on patreon patreon.com slash no encore this week for our patrons we put out a playlist of autumnal sounds that i worked on right. uh, 50 songs four and a half hours and uh songs essentially that like make me feel autumnal so you might challenge some of them but like i think it's a good one i hope people are listening to it go check it out we've definitely talked about this before but are you an autumnal guy is it your favorite season i feel like it's it's probably in your top two you hate winter it's my top because everyone yeah. hates hate, winter, yeah, except for winter weirdos. sucks yeah <laughs> um summer can be a bit much i feel like um, i'm gonna i'm gonna sit, i'm gonna put this out there i feel like you were Big on board with Autumn for ages, and then Halloween got slightly too hyped, and now you're like part of the backlash against Autumn. Would that be fair? I feel, I feel, I feel seen, <laughs> Craig. I'm right there with you, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's it's become a whole thing, like, you know, Spooktober and everything, but uh, look, yeah. what are you going to do? You know, it is what it is. It's fine. You work in advertising, so you're part of the problem. Anyway, look, listen. <laughs> I would like to state for the listener, I've never been involved in any spooky advertising I have it's morals. Common, I have morals, all right? There's some lines you okay. just will not cross. 
I was going to say that advertising is a huge part of an award show, such as the MTV VMAs that took place in a strange dystopian fashion last weekend. Did you tune in at all? Did you check out net about it? Did you have a look at it? I completely forgot it was happening. Um, so Excellent. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need you to be my eyes and my ears and my um, sense well, of you know, enthusiasm. Uh, always, always prestigious MTV Video Music Awards, yeah. which I also did not watch. Uh, I saw some <laughs> clips doing the round on the internet because that's how you watch these things these days, right? You see like 10 second clips and stuff of yeah. Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga wearing masks and somehow still performing and possibly lip syncing, but maybe not. I don't know. I did see that clip, yeah. to investigate. But I'll give you some of the big winners, right? Video of the Year, The Weekend, and Blinding Lights. Lady Gaga took home the Tricon Award. I have no idea what that is. But she was also <laughs> named Artist of the Year. So that's pretty good for her. And Song of the Year with the Ariana Grande one. I mean, like, no wonder she was so heavily featured in the media. I don't know. Or, or all the push about it. Because, you know, here you go. Best New Artist, Doja Cat. You big fan? I know the name. I'm not going to... No, I'm not a big fan. Okay. Um, best collaboration, Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande, Rain On Me, excellent. Uh, best hip-hop, Megan The Stallion, uh, what else we got here? Best R&B, The Weeknd for Blinding Lights, bit of a pattern, bit of a kind of radio-friendly pop pattern emerging here. Best rock went to Coldplay. Best rock is always <laughs> hilarious, what they come out with. Like, some years it's like, particularly with the, actually, the Grammys is the best for this, where you'll have Coldplay alongside, like, Tool. And I guess, yeah, it's all rock, but it's just like, what is this? genre like what is this category why are we doing this well in the category alongside coldplay was blink 182 fallout boy green day the killers and evanescence in 2020 i was was gonna say the evanescence but i'm like no the other one they're still around and getting nominated for vmas man but coming up short at the last to coldplay best cinematography lady gaga and ariana grande best visual effects dua lipa uh best music video made from home was ariana grande and justin bieber remember that song they released that no one listened is, to do you reckon that's only going to be for this year because of like lockdown and all that stuff or is his now a category well there's actually the next category is best quarantine performance oh. so. <laughs> Uh, CNCO, I don't know who that is. They won it. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like VMAs. Obviously, you know, if you're an artist, it's it's still a huge deal. I would I would imagine. But if you win like best quarantine performance in twenty or thirty years, when like you're you know you're telling the grandkids about like all the awards you won, and you're like, yeah, I took home best quarantine performance, and they're like, what quarantine performance? It's like, oh yeah, the world went mental for a year. Gone. <laughs> it's why I it's why I got into music. Uh, I think Post yeah. Malone's Nir- Post Malone's Nirvana tribute was robbed. Best K-pop would it shock you? <laughs> totally would it shock right. you that BTS won Best K-pop, Craig? <laughs> like, Not um Red Velvet or something. They were nominated but didn't win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> best group uh, overall international group was also won by BTS. Fair play to them. Now, best right. alternative, right? I'm going to give you the the people in the category for best alternative okay. you can tell me who won this okay 1975 all-time yeah. low phineas lana del rey machine gun kelly and 21 pilots phineas really slim pickens ah it's got to be the 1975 right and your winner maybe was lana... machine Sorry, gun the... kelly <laughs> <laughs> okay um, it goes Maddie, on. Someone called 999. Maddie Healy was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, apparently it was like a surreal enough show, as you might imagine, and I don't know who watched it. I didn't. We'll move on. I will say well, this. Well, hold on. Can I, I, I want to ask you something, because I just, talking about watching clips and stuff. Dropped my phone. <laughs> That's how upset I am. Such a bombshell. I was wondering, did you see Biffy Clyro's attempt at um, Wet Ass Pussy, which is just unbelievable. First of all, <laughs> fucking hell. You can't just drop that song title out of oh, nowhere. Sorry. Like, there are people, people listen to this. There could be people listening to this in their office, which is now their home space, and you've invaded that there with just incredible pornographic language. Second of all, I it's really don't human want to anatomy. this. I don't want to talk about this because it's just well, like, I feel like this is what they want you to do, right? So it's like, oh, it's outrageous. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It, it like fits in that bracket of, um, we previously talked about worst covers of all time and I was raging about Travis doing Britney Spears all those years ago in that ironic way of like, well, look what we're doing. And it's there, like, look what we're doing, clever, clever thing. But I bring it up purely because I was going to play a clip for you of what I thought was like prime candidate for one of the worst covers I've ever heard from this week as well. And it's kind of been gazumped, but maybe I'll play this and see if you can recognize the tune or the band before the lyrics start this is way more personal for me this is terrible some unholy union of Damien Dempsey and Nick Cave. What the fuck was that? That sounds awesome. Um, I'm sorry for inflicting that clip on you. Idols doing Reptilia, um, clearly, but my word. Um, yeah, I felt affronted by it. Idols, by the way, a band that... There's there's fewer bands I've gone so cold on so quickly. Um, the last album I loved, still playing it quite a bit, Saw them live, they were great. All the singles from the new stuff, I'm just like, this is so grating. And I don't mean like the noise, I mean like lyrically, it's just, they are grating on me and this is maybe the final nail in the coffin. I've never really got it. I've also never really given it the full shake, so I don't know. Apparently their live gigs are legendary. Uh, they've sold out Ficker Street, I believe, three nights over for next year. Touch wood that those go ahead. Don't think that they will, but uh, I guess we'll see. As for Biffy Clyro though and this whole thing, I think people are rightly up in arms about it. Basically, like, you know, you mentioned... Um, the tra- Travis Brittany thing. I always think of the Arctic Monkeys and Girls Aloud thing, and people are always like, well, you know, at least we got this out of it. And I'm like, no, no, that's that's still piss-taking. Um, and in this one, obviously... And, like, and you know, in fairness, they were maybe 18, so you can let them away with that one. <laughs> that song, like, I mean, like, WAP is very much, like, it's obviously very specifically created owned put across made for women and it's like here's fucking biffy clyro and also like correct me if i'm wrong because i haven't heard it i never will i don't ever want to hear it don't send it to me um i believe though it's wet ass biffy right oh, that's oh you, yeah yeah of that, course. that's what, that, that's what they, they had, say right they had to be playful um Ugh. yeah 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 it's wab 
I'm kind of surprised that Biffy escaped the whole landfill indie thing. We talked about it last week on the show. Anyway, look, listen, we're now in the middle of a culture war that nobody wanted. Uh, <laughs> NME have hit back at Vice's list. This is, if you missed it, it's uh, the top 50 landfill indie songs ever. And as we said on the show last week, ultimately it's a case of most of these songs are bangers. It's written with a tongue in cheek. You know, it is Vice being Vice, but like, I think getting too upset about it is more fool you, you know? But um, the Mark Bowman... Yeah, so I was going to say, the actual blurbs are pretty affectionate and positive. It's only the kind of intro that's a bit, like, trolling. Mark Bowman and the enemy basically, like, um, wrote this very long and just fucking meandering and rambly kind of, you know, vicer snobs, how dare you do this thing this week. And, like, it starts off with the first three paragraphs are all about how amazing Britpop was. And it's like, you know, if you're going to just automatically come out the fucking gates and just be like, Britpop, man, I think you've already lost. Like, later on in the article, much later on, you know, there's a section where it's like, don't let all the jaded old gits tell you that your youth wasn't as brilliant as theirs. I was watching you lose your shit to Kilimanjaro from the Club Enemy DJ booth, and it absolutely was. The 2000s UK rock scene was as exciting, energised, and unpredictable as Britpop or punk, and far more varied than both. It was a golden age for indie rock, as bright as any before or since, and you were lucky to be there for it. Not least because the shadow of quote-unquote landfill has since crushed the opportunities and exposure granted to alternative rock to the point where current generations are rationed to one or two new breakthrough guitar bands every couple of years. So bitter was the fallout from 2000's guitar rock that an opinion on a Fontaine's DC, Wolf Alice, or Craig's beloved Idols has to be unanimous across the media boards before they're allowed to succeed. The Pigeon Detectives goes the attitude must never be allowed to happen again. Now, in fairness, I would agree on that last sentence, and I think he found a, a shred of truth there just at the very, very end of it. Remember that clip that you sent me a few days ago? You want to tell people about yeah, that? Yeah, it's it's them playing maybe two years ago um, at a very local British uh, festival, I guess. It's more like a community thing, but it's them clearly well into their career and the hits have dried up, but they're like performing as if they're in front of a, a massive festival crowd and you've got like a sparsely populated crowd trying to get amped up about like Take Her Back and other atrocious songs. It's grim viewing. Um, seek it out, listener. <laughs> the closing uh, words on this one, by the way. Hands up, it was our fault for not giving the whole glorious mess a name at the time. So the haters got to name your youth, but don't let them own it too. Don't give in to the shamers, bat away the landfill sneers and consider it a mark of deep pride that yes, you've had the same jeans on for 12 years now. <laughs> How do you feel about this? Uh, uh, two points. <laughs> Point number one, the view didn't make the voice list, I'm, I'm now realising. And they were, oh my God, they were one of the worst. Um, you lose the argument when you finish with that. And also, Mark Beaumont <laughs> seems to be forgetting that the enemy did give a name to the scene. It was like the new rock revolution. Like, what? They literally created the scene and gave a name to it. <laughs> Sorry. I just kind of feel like this whole thing is just like, we're, we're stuck for things to write about it, fair enough. Like, let, let's hit back at them. But like, I saw people saying like, who'd win in a scrap between Vice staff and NME staff? And I was like, must we? <laughs> like, <laughs> has it come? Was it for this? Like, is this where we're at now? Like, no, I'm not doing it. I won't do it. And I won't go to gigs, Craig, if I can't get a pint. The government, the Irish government themselves on Monday have uh, once again caused a storm of uh, confusion, I suppose, by there was this whole thing, broken the Irish Times, apparently like, you know, gigs might come back in a bigger scale, 
but only if booze isn't happening. I was on a Today FM chatting to Matt Cooper about this live on the radio. And he uh, asked me at one stage, Dave, what about people taking drugs instead? And it threw me for a loop, Craig. And I was like, uh, it comes down to the individual, Matt. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if this is even necessarily a goer. I know that like yesterday, as of recording this podcast, there was like, what was it? It was just like another update. And again, music venues weren't mentioned by name because... It's so back and forth. I mean, I know that like on that day on Monday, the campaign, the national campaign for the arts met with Catherine Martin and Stephen Donnelly and yada, yada, yada. But the statement that they put out themselves was just like so vague as well. They were like, we had a very open and constructive meeting. We received a reassurance from the ministers that the concerns and the challenges of the arts, culture and live event sector are and will continue to be heard at cabinet. And I guarantee that expert input from the sector will inform long term decision making regarding live arts experiences and live events. And they said that they welcomed the invitation to contribute to the roadmap. They're part of these conversations. It's, it, to me, it sounded a bit too like, I'm happy to be here. Like, it didn't feel like anything's really going forward. Uh, so how do you feel real quick, Craig? Um, as someone who, you know, famously has to have a copious amount of booze in his system before Andrew. a band gets on st- <laughs> a cocktail, if you will, before a band plays a single note. Uh, does this speak to you? Does this feel like you feel like you're being held down by the man? Well, we know my new cocktail is very much Holland and Barrett skewed. So I'm wondering, am I allowed to take a Valerian root capsule and maybe have a green tea and still go to the gig? Or will that just loosen me up to the extent that I'm going to bring down half the population with COVID? I don't know. As we know, prohibition always works. <laughs> that would be my official line. Famously, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's becoming so wearying. It's the constant shifting of goalposts, as you say. Um, and it's the hypocrisy of, you know, it's the, the vested interests of the horse racing can come back and the golf can come back and you can have your points here and there and places of, you know, but just those kids and their rock and roll, uh, they can't be trusted. Um so I'm just weary from it all. I'm weary, Dave. Yeah, and I've seen like both kind of arguments being like, oh, I mean, you shouldn't need booze to enjoy a gig. I don't think I can't stop saying booze. Like I really am Rex Banner over here or something. <laughs> People saying like, oh, like I mean, like more like, oh, to, speaks to a bad life if you need alcohol to enjoy a gig. Uh, I think that's bollocks. I always think it's bollocks that you can't go without it. Like there's no, it shouldn't be an opportunity to fucking, you know, castigate people based on their social uh mores i suppose craig you know it just yeah. sounds like yet another non-goer like yet another non-flyer from a government that just genuinely isn't that interested yeah i, I would agree what we need to do craig Come on. we need to get out we need to get out of ireland we need to move where on. are we gonna go we need to go somewhere a bit different well i was thinking we could go to a futuristic pan-african smart city in senegal built in the mold of wakanda chadwick boseman r.i.p by the way horrendous yes. fucking news uh but akon he of once investing in a diamond mine fame has a new project coming. The 2000 acre surrealist solar powered Akon City, apparently <laughs> backed by the Senegalese government and funded by unnamed investors. Now, he announced this two years ago, but The Guardian wrote about it this week. Um, it looks like, you know, they're kind of breaking ground on it. Um, so if this all comes to pass in the near future, we will have gleaming skyscrapers, shopping malls, music studios and eco-friendly tourist resorts with Acoin, his cryptocurrency, as the central currency. Does this sound like a place that you want to go and uh, get away from it all? Um, I would probably need to know more about the job prospects, um, about the living arrangements. Um, clearly, I mean, with a benevolent ruler like Akon, things will be pretty good, you'd imagine. 
Um, I hear the conditions in his diamond mine were tip top. Um, yeah, this when this story broke initially, I think the the main focus was on the the cryptocurrency A coin because, of course, it's a fantastic pun. It's just you know phenomenal. And I think once you come up with a pun of that caliber, the next thing you have to do is found your own city. So it's the logical move for his career and for the world, I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's one of those kind of watch this space situations. Akon <laughs> has been equal parts hailed and criticized for some of his more charitable endeavors. Uh, he's definitely done some things that have helped people, but also at the same time, questions around his operations in Africa grew in 2015, according to The Guardian, when Akon claimed to have manipulated African leaders. He said, in Africa, you've got to manipulate them. You have to. He told an African Day celebration <laughs> at Coca-Cola, describing challenges in persuading African leaders to part fund the projects. Um, I don't know. I mean, it all sounds very FIFA to me or something very kind of like you know like a potential legal quagmire that i'm wandering into here that i need you to stop me from doing well you've mentioned fifa and now i've done it as well so uh, they'll get an alert and we know that fifa has roaming international courts they just set up and put people on trial during world cups yeah let's stop talking about that football federation and let's talk about david byrne apologizing David um, has apologised, yes. Oh, it's uh, about, another... <laughs> about damn time. Yeah, about damn time. Um, it seems like he's at least getting out in front of it himself, like, without being publicly embarrassed into doing it by someone else. He's had to address wearing black and brown face uh, in a promotional video for Stop Making Sense back in 1984. Uh, he tweeted that he'd forgotten about the skit. Um, he said he was grateful that it was brought to his attention. Um, like he went into a pretty lengthy explanation. Uh, I'll just quote a little bit of it. To watch myself in the various characters, including black and brown face, I acknowledge it was a major mistake in judgments that showed a lack of real understanding. It's like looking in a mirror and seeing someone else. You're not or were not the person you thought you were. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised by this uh, being unearthed. Um, his statement was pretty good, but it's just like such a different world in the 80s man why was everyone doing this it's not even like something that was funny it wasn't creative it, i don't know why so many white people decided this was a good thing to do when it takes so long to actually pull it off um and yeah david byrne i've always held him in huge esteem as a performer it seemed like a good dude that had like you know really evolved as a as a, an artist and a man over the years and yeah, it's, it's just I like the statement, but it's not for me to really like. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Like he's come under fire before for you know lack of representation and lack of yeah, like what yeah. what, what a gender base sure. in particular on his last album and so on. And yeah, I mean, look, look, listen. I don't. I'm. I, I, this is not the FIFA court. You know, I'm not. I'm not about to to catch any again. kind of. <laughs> I will say though that uh, he is he is such a beloved living legend icon that you wonder if like this will wash away and not be a problem or if this will be a big deal um i don't know craig i hope for the best as does he that's all you can do also hoping for the best are netflix who are developing a documentary series and they've they've had good form before the fire festival documentary was pretty great i remember describing it as the first great horror film of that year i think it was 2019 i believe yeah. Who knew the world would go on to experience even more horror beyond that point? But horror of a turn of the century vibe, Woodstock 99, 
which was a disaster. <laughs> Four-day event designed to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the original 1969 Woodstock Festival that ended in fiery chaos. Netflix will be putting together a documentary based on this from the same team that produced Don't Fuck With Cats and Fear City, New York versus the Mafia, neither of which I have watched, but I hear that no, they're maybe. watchable, I suppose, maybe, possibly. Um, do you remember anything about Woodstock 99, Craig? I don't think you were there or anything, but... No, I missed that one because I was 10. Um, but I... I remember a lot of retrospective articles written about what a disaster it was. It felt like the original fire festival. Even worse, just total chaos. Um, if you're going to give excuses for people, um, you could say there was a lot of insane clown posse fans there. And also everyone was very worried about the millennium bug. So tensions were running rife. Uh, it kind of runs counter to my point on recent podcasts that 1999 was like summertime for humanity and everyone was mellow and capitalism was like riding high and it was great. Maybe everyone got too mellow um, because it was just a weird bill where you had new metal rubbing shoulders with Dave Matthews, um, 220,000 people, I think, and no water and then lots and lots of fires and misogynism and just horrible stuff. Yeah, it was even more than that, actually. According to this Deadline article, over four days, it was over 400,000 people in total yes. in, in New York. And uh, yeah, an event marred by oppressive heat, violence, and allegations of sexual assault, which, you know, obviously should not be uh, depicted lightly. And I can't imagine mm. it will. It ended with dozens of arrests and thousands injured. MTV covered the festival extensively, as is their want, with live coverage of the entire weekend available on pay-per-view. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Um, it's weird. It, it kind of passed me by as well, but uh, I will be looking out for this documentary. It sounds like it could be really, really good. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. Um, it was the third Woodstock, right? I think there was one in 94 that was not well-reviewed, but didn't end in absolute carnage. Um, and there was, was going the to be like a... F- one, possibly? Yeah, it was, just a, it was just a washout, I think. There was going to be a 50th anniversary as well, which just didn't happen, which is probably for the best. Um, but yeah, possibly, I'll watch yeah. this documentary. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll make you nostalgic, though, for live gigs. Remember when we went to see uh, Vampire Weekend in Dublin last year and you loved it and I was absolutely miserable? Remember that? Remember yeah, that day? Yeah, you weren't having a good week. I really I enjoyed that gig. And I wasn't drinking at that gig and I, I enjoyed remember. it. <laughs> well, you weren't the only one because according to our good buddy Higgs, our No Popcorn co-host, he spotted uh, Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue at the event, <laughs> bopping around, having a grand old time. Now, look, listen. I know politicians aren't technically allowed to go to gigs, but I don't know. I mean, call me a square, but I feel like Pascal isn't maybe the worst guy to ever do the politics thing ever. I mean, if he thinks Father of the Bride is a classic, then I reserve the right to hastily change my mind. But the point is, he's just one of the guests on this here podcast. So he is. My name is Stephanie Preisner, and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner. And I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus. And then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all, like politics and being a child actor. If you like finding out about things, listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner. Lovely stuff. All right, time for some more lovely stuff, aka the album review section. It is, in fact, time for Disclosure to see if they can put some energy into our sales. This song, featuring Slow Thigh, is called yeah. My High. Look, you was there standing all night. Your heart 
so you know I make the whole say, hey, fuck a niggas up until the beat get played, Charlie wanna fuck her till she get saved, club promoters wanna act like they know me, club promoters wanna be my homie, bad news nigga, you ain't really the homie, bad news nigga, you ain't really the homie, bitch. And now with some important disclosure of his own, it's Craig Fitzpatrick. Thank you, David. So, disclosure. I feel like I'm the least qualified person on this section to talk disclosure, but I gave a brief rundown before we get into it and open it to the floor. So, a couple of brothers from Surrey, England, and the music has garage roots, I think it's fair to say. They were very successful initially as being kind of proponents of pop meeting house and um, choosing their vocalist very wisely, as on debut Settle in 2013. Um, most notably, maybe Sam Smith on the massive hit Latch. Um, Caracal followed in 2015. They doubled down on the kind of named features, slowed things down. It seemed to be a bit baggy for fans, I think. Um, maybe a slight misstep in some quarters. Even the duo just talking recently uh, in promotion of this third album were like, eh, some of the stuff in the last album was slightly cringe. Um, I, I wasn't familiar with it, so I'll, I'll believe them. Um, but there's maybe been, if not quite soul searching, then them kind of getting a little bit spooked and going, okay, we need slight cor- course correction, refine what we're doing, spend some time. Um, there's been releases in the interim, but spend some time getting the long player totally correct. Um, and what we have now is a back to basics kind of record, I would guess, club album, uh, landing when all the clubs are closed, um, which is that same old story at this point um guy lawrence one of the brothers has been saying actually listen it works really well these songs are about you know strength and courage and it's perfect for the times we live in is it perfect for the times we live in well i should start off by saying that i had the chance to speak with howard lawrence from the band about a week ago that interview will hopefully be running in the sunday business post this weekend so go ahead and check it out um that's a good question. You ask you ask an interesting question, Craig. Is this the perfect album to be in lockdown with, even though you can't be into a nightclub? Does it fill you full of the joys of spring and summer and autumn and winter? You also said that maybe we're not the most qualified on this one. So maybe we need to look around and get someone involved. Step forward. Sonic Architect Adam. The curtain Ooh. comes off. Oh, wow. <laughs> the curtain comes That's off. That's what he the sounds mo- like. <laughs> hi hi everybody it's nice to be out in the front for a change as opposed to in the back room typing in the chat but um <laughs> yeah I, I i i have got a lot of feelings i think about this album um uh, I'm, as the pair of you guys know i'm a big disclosure fan um i have been for a long time followed them kind of throughout their career since settle um when i was introduced to them um in that kind of era when uh that kind of hit the the radio waves and the internet, I suppose, kind of, you know, were there the, were the internet's darlings for uh, a little while. Uh, so uh, from there on, then it was Caracal, which I thought to be an absolutely phenomenal album. I loved it. I thought the, the songwriting was absolutely okay. amazing on it. To which, after some digging, I found out that uh, no other than Jimmy Napes wrote every single song on that album with the guys. Um, oh, so well. no, no wonder the songwriting was really, really good. But um this this album, as Craig said, you know, it, it kind of a back to basics album. I think it definitely is. Um, they've definitely shied away from the more structured stuff in this one, and they've moved more kind of towards the club facing thing. Um, which, as myself and Dave kind of spoke about when you were kind of doing the uh, doing the interview with Howard, is that it's a very interesting time to be releasing an album like that, particularly mm. in quarantine when clubs are almost non-existent and a thing of the past, you know. 
Um, so I think I think they hit the nail on the head with this as an album. How it stands in among their other things, I think, is another conversation you need to have. It, like for for me, the ranking of this among the three, it's probably for me, it sits somewhere near the bottom. I think. Um, I thought it started off absolutely amazing uh, with the uh, the track with Khalees. Um, you know, I think that like coming in with Watch Your Step was like absolutely amazing and then to follow that up with Lavender with Channel Trez on it it was like um, unbelievable like I thought that was like such a such a good start to the album and then after that you've got My High which we've heard for a couple of months and you know I think it starts to kind of drop off after that a little bit um, in comparison to That's kind of early Adam <laughs> Yeah yeah I don't know I just I feel like it's not I, I, I just thought that a lot a lot of the other records carried a bit more than you know, up until the third track or fourth track. There's like an initial hit off it. So it's funny because I mean, like last week when it arrived, Adam messaged me and was like, it's just banger after banger. And I was like, awesome. Enjoy it, man. And then today Adam messaged me and was like, remember last week when I said like, it's just, this is fucking class. (laughs) You're like, maybe, I don't know. And then I had to like dive across and be like, Adam, no, the first rule of no encore is we don't talk about these things in advance. But I think it does tell its own story because like, straight away like watch your step as you say like comes on and automatically it's running you know this yeah. is like fucking fast-paced vibrant very very bright huge pop songs all over it a huge cast of characters you got Khalees, Amine, Slothai, Mick Jenkins, uh, Fatimata Diwara, Kalani and Sid, Common uh, like it's fucking stacked you know yeah. they had their pick you know, when, when I spoke to when I spoke to Howard I was like you know what was the process there and he was like well we just read up a wish list and gave it to our management and we're like, get these guys. And that's pretty much what they can do. Although he does maintain that his, uh, their dream collaboration that they're always going to hold out for is Stevie Wonder. And we'll see if that ever happens someday. But like, essentially, I think it's all kind of one paced, but the one pace is generally relentless. And I think that automatically, like, it's a barrage. So, and I saw people tweeting about it on like Friday saying stuff like, this is just fucking oh my God, it's amazing. And then it's like, I just think it's almost like there's something drug-like about it where like there's a come down pretty fucking quickly. The more you listen to it, the more it just, you know, devolves into that horrible one song long cliche. And I say horrible, not about the album, but horrible about that being a cliche. It's a very, it's a very reductive way to talk about anybody's music and I don't like to do so. But this, Craig, it kind of is one long song, a little bit. Um, I, I was coming in pretty fresh to Disclosure. Um, I knew some of the hits. Um, they hadn't really clicked with me just because it's not generally my genre. Um, but reading up about this album um, and, you know, hearing some stuff from the guys, I'm looking forward to your chat with Howard. Uh, they seem like quite considered fellas, uh, have an interesting slant on, like, I think Howard wasn't even the biggest dance music fan um, to begin with. So he kind of brings, like, the pop sensibilities and, uh, he's not even too into that world, really. He talks about never really doing drugs or, like, he, you know, he once considered dropping MDMA just, you know, for research, that kind of thing. I like them taking their time. I like them maybe seeing, you know, what they felt might have been a problem with the previous album. And I know, Adam, you loved it and I, I, mm. I haven't heard it. But just some of the kind of bigger names were... It was slightly overthought and they were maybe too in their own head and they thought, okay, we're at a certain level. We have to come out with these kind of songs. Um, So, you know, in stripping it back, in picking Dave, as you say, kind of 
not just big names for the sake of it, but real, it feels like real kind of co-conspirators, um, people that will creatively mesh with them well. I was like, yeah, I'm all in. Um, and they they said, this is like a concept record, their first. It only features tracks that came really quickly and really easily. I'm like, brilliant. Okay, all sounds admirable, should work for me. And remarkably, it does not work for me. Um <laughs> Time and again, I did feel with the songs, it was like, okay, if these are the tracks that came quickly and easily, maybe one more draft, lads. You know, some of the melodies um, didn't feel that strong. It felt like catchiness through sheer repetition. Um, and Howard, in some of his interviews, is talking about, yeah, he's he's not into really clubbing. He, like, rather, like, he'd rather tend his garden and plant trees. And he's, you know, he's talking about syntropic agriculture and stuff like that. I feel like if he's the guy that brought the hooks, he's left some of them in the garden. Um, and Guy, who is a bit more underground, maybe a bit more inventive in terms of dance, I think his best stuff, if it is his stuff, is restricted to like the interludes, which feel like they're on a different album, but they interest me way more than the cookie-cutter dance pop. No, I was just going to say that, like, I mean, I, I made the point that it is extremely relentless in terms of its pace, but on the couple of occasions when it finally slows down, like Fractal, for example, as an interlude, I think is great. Yeah. There's more kind yeah, of ideas going on there. And yeah, when I spoke to Howard, he he himself was like, look, Guy's the one who knows more about house music than I do. Like, I'm not really that well-versed. I'm not really, I don't pay attention to the underground. You know, I'm, for me, like, I'm into the songwriting aspect of things. And once you get to like 1980, the idea of like what songwriting is has mostly been established. I do, of course, pay attention to contemporary hip hop, but at the same time, I like, you know, conventional structures. And yeah, as you say, Craig, there is something admirable in the idea of like, let's go with our gut, let's trust our instincts, which is a very curious approach to adopt when there's five years between albums. Um, do you find this to be having a bit of an identity crisis, Adam? Or is that unfair? Uh, I, I'm not sure about identity crisis, because like I said, um you know, I I feel like that, you know, what energy is trying to embody is part of the original idea of Disclosure um, when they kind of started, um, they started releasing music back in 2010. I mean, they, like the offline dexterity period was very, you know, electronic. It didn't necessarily have a lot of songwriting in it. So I thought that when, you know, I thought it was like a very cool natural development hearing it you know going back to the 2010 singles and going back to like those little eps and stuff and listening to those versus settle when it came out because settle was my kind of introduction to uh disclosure and i thought that it was kind of something that wasn't necessarily heard of at the time was garage music um and that kind of like dub dub tech kind of stuff when you know that mixed with quite conventional songwriting structures but all of these, you know, really, really garage chords and these acid bases and stuff like that. I thought it was just like, it was like a really, really good synergy. So I think maybe they may, given, like Craig said, you know, in the interviews that they kind of spoke about the second album being maybe a little bit too formulaic, I suppose, um, for want of a better term. You know, they maybe felt a bit of pressure to go back and, and go and dive into that. But um I think that they were very conscious of what they were doing because you're hearing a lot of sampling going on in this record and that kind of follows on from the tracks that they would have released previously. They had like four singles that they released which were 
in 2018 which is when they kind of just announced that they were going back in to do the new album so they had the where angels fear to tread moonlight uh love can be so hard and funky sensation and where you come from as well so there was there was actually five it wasn't four and they were all sample based stuff that were kind of following what we're hearing now on energy which is kind of like the build up to the higher tempo stuff Mm. so i think that there was a bit of a progression back to it it wasn't necessarily just like a total drop off from you know the songwriting on caracal and the structures on caracal to uh, energy so craig i'm picturing you running around the canals there possibly coming over the border now that it's legal to do so on your famous midnight runs and picturing you listening to this music and you know i'm sure it, it, it drives you forward but i'm also picturing you just like looking quizzically at the stars homer simpson style wondering why isn't this working what conclusion did you come to uh that's very astute because um i i came to the conclusion that personally I don't honestly see where this album fits into my life whatsoever. And I brought it on runs and yeah, it kind of did the mechanical job of like four on the floor. I can, you know, it'll, it'll propel me a bit, but even some of the most, like the, the more energetic moments, um, the likes of the title track, it just, nothing stirred me emotionally, spiritually, um, like the kind of energy pep talk was, it just felt like some gym instructor. And I felt I should have really loved a lot of the beats on this because I've been railing against trap drums for so long. And I'm just like, we need to get past this. We need to get like, it's just, it's too much. Let's get back to proper four and four. And actually what I came away from this album was thinking like, it's, it's one of the most dated sounding things I've heard in a while. Adam, as you say about going back to their debut and what they initially were, I felt like that was going back to me initially hearing them and thinking, oh, do you know who I miss? Basement Jacks, which is another 10 years prior. Um, you know, even songs that were pleasant and I could get on with, I kept hearing like the FM 104 sting coming over it, like they used to do back in 2001. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They would do five hits in a row. And yeah. this, you know... Something like Watch Your Step would be one of them. And in time with the melody, they'd be going FM 104. Like, and that, that is not my vibe, Dave. Um, so not my vibe out of 10. It's my score, maybe, if you're wondering. <laughs> Adam, uh, are disclosure in trouble? I mean, this is received mixed reviews. You go back to the first record. and I know Pitchfork is what we always throw to and blah, 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 blah. But like that first record got like big fucking 9.1, I think. Best yeah. in music. Craig mentioned Sam Smith earlier on. Their vocal performance on Latch is still the best Sam Smith vocal performance that's totally. ever been captured. And that song still sounds great today. They've done some great stuff with Lord around the time that she was escalating and ascending you know, into the fucking stratosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like at this stage, I think by comparison, maybe like, did they take too long? Are they in trouble or will they be just fine? Like, have they settled, ironically enough, into a, a bit of a like safety zone, perhaps? I don't, I, I can't answer that question. I've been like rattling my brain trying to think of what what the hell is going on here, you know. Um, you listen to the, it, it's, I've, I've been talking about the first two albums in comparison to this. If we're talking, like if we are talking order and I mentioned this earlier, you know, at the kind of outset, I feel like this sits at the bottom of the two. Like it just doesn't feel like it belongs to me. Even like the deluxe edition on Spotify, right? So I was kind of having a look at this because I I got the vinyl and I've been listening to it kind of this week. But the vinyl, if the vinyl stops kind of before it kicks back in again. So after the, like the common, the Jim common on it is the, you know, it's the last record, Reverie. 
was the last song on the record. And then after that, they've essentially just dropped their entire EP that they released, the Ecstasy EP, onto it. A couple of remixes and um, then the, the stuff they did with Khaled. Like, I think the whole thing to me feels half not half arsed but like half put together maybe half finished like particularly songs like Sine Pa like that to me it, it just felt like it was drums and bass and they had someone doing a scratch vocal over it which I thought was just I thought that was abysmal to be including something like that in an album and I was very very disappointed when you listen to the other two albums and even that even the Ecstasy EP like the Ecstasy EP is five songs and it's just non-stop bangers really 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 good like it's, it'd be you know an eight or nine out of ten for me on that but this to me like in the context of their own discography if you're talking scores for me it's probably a six and a half or a seven okay so it's a six and a half or seven for adam it's a not my vibe out of ten for craig yeah and for four. me <laughs> for me <laughs> it's a i really enjoyed interviewing howard from disclosure out oh. of ten go check out that interview in the sunday business four. Post. It's, it's, <laughs> this is this is this is four fi- isn't it <laughs> It's a five. It's a five out of ten. It's a five out of ten. What am I going to say? That's what it is. I'm trying to be political and nice. He was sound. I hope the next album's better. Uh, Adam, before you go, do you want to tell the world there? You kind of hinted at it. You got a bit of a, a bit of a vinyl addiction these days. What's going on? I do. I do have a vinyl addiction. So I started collecting records at the kind of outset of lockdown, and since then I have amassed over seventy records. <laughs> So, <laughs> but you've no house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 he's li- building one. I, he's building one out of all the vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I live in my own recycle bin now. That's how it works. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's been it's been fun. Like I definitely feel like I'm experiencing music in a way that I'm actually sitting back down and enjoying it again. Because when you work on music as something that you do, particularly in the studio, when like I'd be in the studio maybe five, six days a week and you're just hearing music, you're hearing music all the time. You're using music as research. Like it's everywhere. You know, it, it kind of, it just turns into frequencies at a certain point, you know? Mm. Um, and that's just part and parcel of the work. But to be able to like sit down, put on something, sit and listen to it in its long form, there's something like really, really special about that. I have my friend Ryan to thank for it as well, because he's, over 250 records strong, I think, or something like that at the moment he's sitting on. Yeah, so um, he's, I'd love, he's got me hooked. I'd love to get into it. It feels really daunting to even start, though, and just all-consuming, and it's I'm kind of scared to get involved. But yeah, yeah. I'm glad you've had a great experience. If you want to build a house out of vinyl, Craig, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the house tips, Adam. Thank you for the review, and thank you for all that you do. Now, on with the show. Time for the top five. Songs about the school experience, kind of, I suppose, in a roundabout way. I guess we'll see what comes out of this one. Hit the music, Adam. Here's something that's more connected to, I guess, a British comedy show, but there's method in my madness here. This is like a bit of a bet. clarify that's not one of my five craig don't worry about it however it is can you name the band can you name the song do you know it 
Uh, yeah, it was um, Harvey Danger, I believe, and taken from the glorious Peep Show. I don't actually know the song's proper title. I haven't heard the entire song, just the, the kind of intro credits. Um, but yeah, the name is in my head for some reason. Well, see, this is, is the that thing. right? Yeah, Harvey Danger is correct. The name of the song is Flagpole Sitter. And yes, okay. before it was in Peep Show, and I'm pretty sure like it, it comes along from the second season of Peep Show on, perhaps. Um, this mm-hmm. song was fucking everywhere around like the turn of the century and it was like in American Pie it was in Disturbing Behaviour one of those like okay Scream was a big deal we need to crank it all these like cool teen horror movies with like Katie Holmes and James Marsden and Nick Stahl it was in Dawson's Creek uh, I'm convinced yeah. that it basically sponsored American based pop culture of a teenage variety for that entire year it was just everywhere you couldn't get away from it and also it was like I guess you know another kind of school element to it is that like it definitely would have been one of those songs when I was in school that I was trying desperately to download on like fucking Napster or LimeWire with like a gigantic telephone cable my parents in bed hoping they won't come down and hear the excessively loud internet noise that's going on and like it taking about four or five days to download and then being like yeah this is the best song ever so i guess it's that kind of um youthful exuberance and innocence and recklessness i suppose that i was trying to capture in my top five what about you so as always i put on like very limiting perimeters that i didn't inflict on you but just for my own sanity i was like okay so um it's school but is it like my experience uh that doesn't really matter but it can't be like college um so we're talking from junior and senior infants up until the leaving cert because i just would have had kanye and i would have had vampire weekend running riot um yeah like none of these picks i don't think make me reminisce too much about my school days some do but it wasn't like rooted in okay this is a specific experience i just felt they evoked maybe memories of school days quite well. Why don't you evoke this list into being, Craig? All right. Um, pick it. So wake up late for school, man. You don't want to go. Yeah, ask your mom, please. But she still <laughs> says no. You missed two classes and no. and the beastie boys there um with a song that has double parentheses in the title so dave like straight away i you must be approving well i don't Um, know it's a bit much isn't it like it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot it's the ultimate like bratty teen rebellion song it could be obnoxious i remembered it as cheesy but then you go back and from the first like kick it which i still say quite a lot for maybe i'm the obnoxious one but it's it works for me because it's like a combination of the Saved by the Bell team with like Alice Cooper's Schools Out. It's like a proto like Zach Morris song. Um and it should be noted the BCs themselves said like this is a bit of a parody. Um they then had that like old chestnut of jocks taking it on board as like some kind of mantra or like mission statement, and they're like, Oh, it's not really for you. Um, which, you know, isn't really their their point to make. Um, it's not, um, off the best Beasties album. It's not by any means the best Beasties single, but it totally works for me. Um, it showcases how good they are at like melding hip hop with their kind of hardcore punk roots. And I think for this kind of song, it's really well written. 
So it's you gotta fight for your right to party, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna attempt the parentheses now. So it's open brackets. You gotta close brackets. Fight for your right. Open brackets to party. Close brackets. Which, as you can tell, <laughs> sucks all the fun out of it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a surface level banger, and that's maybe all it needs to be. It's knowing. It's comedic. It's got hooks galore, and it's a very good way to kick off the list. Craig, I applaud your choice here. So thank you. For me, however, let's get wildly problematic, shall we? That's busted. And what I go to school for oh. from, <laughs> I want to say 2001, 2002. Uh, yeah. time, the time has moved on since then. But yeah, I mean, you get that horrendous verse there, which is just uh, like, it, it's, it's like fucking 4D chess when it comes to incredibly inappropriate. Because it's like, these guys are what, like 16, 17? Certainly in the song they are, lusting yeah. after poor Miss Mackenzie, you know, just trying to do her job in the school. And she's got these fucking pervert deviants crawling all over and gleefully writing a song about it however craig when it gets to that chorus though can you deny it (laughs) (laughs) they were the new beatles i remember it being said at one point actually that who who the fuck (laughs) i've i've misremembered and i think it was lorraine kelly interviewing mcfly and saying that about them so apologies okay yeah Um, makes a bit more obviously became mcbusted um yeah they could write a tune um this like busted never really worked for me i think they were slightly after my time or yeah i don't know does this connect with you on a level of like were you in school were you recalling being in school and like pining after some quite attractive teacher did you live that experience in a less problematic way i think everyone has at least one teacher crush in their life for sure i i i I hope i didn't behave the way that these guys did because it's all manner of questionable um it goes on like the song goes on like the next kind of verse is like so she may be 33 but that doesn't bother me like 33 <laughs> like whoa oh my god <laughs> what the this is fucking like logan's run like calm down mate uh but then like it continues her boyfriend's working out of town i find a reason to go round then oh. matt takes up the baton here and goes i climb a tree outside her home to make sure she's all alone i see her in her underwear i can't help but stop and stare what the fuck like what is going on and, and then like smash into oh, I don't remember those bouncy <laughs> pop chorus. You're just like um, the, yeah, the, the tonal disconnection here is is it, way it starts, way off. It starts like a kind of Hollyoaks storyline, and then it goes quite like Farley Brothers mid nineties comedy or something. Uh, yeah, um, but you know, if you've got a good tune, you can get away with a lot, Dave. Well, you mentioned you mentioned like you know oh like they they weren't really of my time, which is hilarious because like it implies that like it's an era thing. And oh, you went through the busted years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I remember like going to get like new metal CDs and stuff. Um, and I remember like busted for some reason we're in like the rock section before no one knew what they really really were. And I didn't trust it, Craig. Now I didn't have a busted phase. I must admit, I did like Fight Star though, as noted. But busted 
reformed a few years ago and they released an album called night driver in 2016 which is not a terrible album very much chasing some pop trends but in a cool slick way and if you recall myself and cole morrigan of this show may he live on in spirit forever we went to fucking see them in the olympia theater we were in like the pit the only ones like of of drinking age and so we were like knocking (laughs) back the beers and I mean, like, this was the gig, of course, where, like, I saw one of Jedward there and I tweeted about them afterwards and I got in trouble with the Jedward fans. And by the way, sorry, real quick, while I'm on the subject, can we put a fucking end to this whole Jedward social media thing, please? Stop doing their PR for them. Prominent people on Twitter who are like, oh, my God, I got a fucking DM. It's the worst. It's the fucking worst. Yeah, they've anyway, got a good right. theme. <laughs> They know what they're doing, but Busted, I guess, knew what they were doing when they sat down with The Guardian in 2016 to discuss uh, the record. So the journalist here, right, there's an entire section where she's like, their attitudes aren't the only things that have evolved with time. Culture, for one, has moved on. In a review of Busted's show in London in May, the Daily Telegraph suggested the song Who's David had dated badly with its misogynistic undertones. There's a lyric here, which is, you stupid lying bitch, who's David? Uh, yeah. All the more uncomfortable coming from people who no longer have the excuse of being teenagers. So then there's a moment where the band have a conversation amongst themselves. It's like the three lads, um, Matt Willis, James Bourne and Charlie Simpson. So it's so it goes as follows, it's presented like in verbatim text and it goes, What do you mean misogynistic undertones? asks Bourne. You can't say stupid lying bitch anymore, Willis replies. Really? Bourne says. Charlie Simpson at this point goes, As you say, society has changed hugely, much more PC. Willis then goes, basically, it's not cool to call women bitches anymore. Charlie Simpson clearly oh. sweating is like, I'm not sure it ever was. <laughs> and then like Willis goes, uh, that was kind of the point. But then this born fellow just it, it isn't getting it, Craig. And he goes, even if they lie, then your man. Oh, uh, yeah. that's dark. Your man is a man. Like that, Dave. He, he goes, he goes, he, go, he responds and says, yeah, even if they have been a bitch to you, born then responds with, even if she cheats on you, is she not a bitch? And then Charlie Simpson, clearly trying his utmost to get this interview over with, goes, derogatory terminology. Anyway, we would never write lyrics like that. We're different oh. people to the people we were. We were little kids back then. It's the difference between being 18 and 33. It's that different, concludes Bourne, on board with third wave feminism, on board with an all new busted. <coughs> Who knew that they were actually a band that... If they're out today with this kind of stuff, Craig, I just don't know how long they'd last, you know? Different well, it's times. an interesting it, it's interesting how it comes full circle there because it turns out that being 33 is a much better thing and shouldn't be sniffed at. Okay, will we get back to a more innocent, wholesome place with my f- number four slot? We don't notice anything We sit side by side in every class she thinks that I sound funny But she likes the way you sing Tonight I'll dream while I'm in bed When silly thoughts go through my head About the bugs and alphabet When I wake tomorrow I'll bet That you and I will walk together again the White Stripes, we're going to be friends from 2002's White Blood Cells. Um, they finally made it onto one of my lists. Uh, this song nearly made it onto um, top tier jerkers for me. Um, until I realised that actually there's a performance of this that I was thinking of where they performed on Conan O'Brien's last ever like late night or tonight show um, show uh, at his request because it's one of his favourite songs of all time. Um, Meg played guitar on it and the 
The two of them were basically in tears throughout the entire thing, and it was the last time they ever performed together. They hadn't done gigs for quite a while. It seemed like the band was over, and it, for all intents and purposes, it was. And that was like their kind of uh, their their swan song. That's uh, beautiful. It's like one of their best acoustic numbers, I think. Um, Hotel Yorba, Bound to Pack It Up would be up there as well for me. I just think, you know, at his best, Jack White kind of distills that, you know, um, glorification of innocence and old-fashioned sensibilities. And sometimes it can be kind of grating, but I think he nails the perspective really well here. Uh, the tone of voice, like the silly toss going through my head, just evokes kind of packed lunches and Play-Doh and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's it's something he was trying to achieve for a lot of his career. Um, and as I say, he goes way off the mark a lot of the times, but... Uh, when he nails it here, it's like, oh God, Jack, what are you doing to me? And it helps that it's on an album where, you know, the next couple of tracks are just absolute, you know, electric guitar bangers. It's a really nice mix. So yeah, this has always had a, a really big spot in my heart. Do you, uh, do you have lots of friends in school, Craig? Stalking the halls of some uh, Kildare, like situation with a Letterman jacket on and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I didn't have a Letterman jacket. I was, I was um, a really reluctant head boy of my secondary school. Um, I had a head boy badge that I had to wear. Um, yeah. So, what does the head boy the do exactly? I've, I've heard this reference. You so do often. very little. You have to do like the the speech uh, at the end of the year when you're kind of graduating. So you have to like write a fucking speech when you're trying to do some study for your leaving cert, which isn't great. And there's also some stuff about being a good example and bossing around like the first years at lunchtime, um, which I did not do because I couldn't care less if they were in the fucking wrong room and should be eating their lunch in the correct area. I was cool. I was a cool head boy. <laughs> they could have beat me up probably. Okay. So that, that played into it. So by the sounds of it, Craig, you are the dictionary definition of... Say so. Be prepared for the boy to feel hurt and rejected. Even if you've gone together for only a short time and haven't been too serious, there's still a feeling of rejection when someone says she prefers the company of others to your exclusive company. But if you're honest and direct and avoid making a flowery emotional speech when you break the news, the boy will respect you for your frankness and honestly, he'll appreciate the kind of straightforward manner in which you told him your decision. Unless he's a real jerk or a crybaby, he'll remain friends. It's popular by Nada Surf, the biggest hit of this American rock band. The song reached number 11 on the US Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. Try and say that fucking 12 times in a row. Propelling their album to number 63 on the Billboard 200. It was a big hit across the world and ironically enough, as their most popular song, it kind of condemned them to kind of one hit wonder status in a way. Um, you heard some of the kind of aggressive spoken word element there. That's parts from a 1964 teenage advice book called Penny's Guide to Teenage Charm and Popularity, written by a TV right. actress called Gloria Winters. Uh, I guess from the band Matthew Cause does the whole sarcastic thing and then it goes into that chorus, which, you know, you know, head of the class, cheerleader on my arm, that kind of stuff. Very, you know, dry wit, you know, around the time when that was all very ironically enough popular. Um, but there's a weird thing where like, I mean, this was, it, it was, it was a bit of an albatross for the band, you know? I mean, like he's done interviews, I think as recently as 2012 
And he said that, like, you know, we've tried playing popular at concerts, and if we don't play it, someone gets pissed off, and if we do play it, someone gets pissed off, we can't win. Uh, after the attention from the song died down, people seemed to get the impression that we'd fallen from grace, he goes on to say. It was a huge song in 1996, it was all over MTV, it was on compilation records, all over the radio, but it didn't have a big follow-up hit, and the band went from playing huge venues to small clubs filled with just a couple of hundred people. Uh, Matthew Calls again says, after shows, people would come up to us and with pitying looks on their face. They were dropped by their label. He maintains that he only ever wanted the band to be a small indie proposition. He wasn't out for massive fame. And he said, when we put out our second album, The Proximity Effect, in 2000 by ourselves, I was more proud of that than anything else. So I guess, you know, it's a strange kind of, you know, metatextual thing that it took on its own form and shows you that popularity, Craig, might not be all it's cracked up to be. I think it's one of those songs that, like, is both corny as hell, but kind of fun and does tap back into that kind of 90s, you know, more kind of, I don't know, I, I hesitate to say innocent times, but they were hazier days for sure. Yeah, um, I can w- recommend one other thing from Nada Surf that was quite good. And it's it always is, love? Um, no, it's, <laughs> I don't know anything else they've done, but they did a cover of New Order's Bizarre Lo- Love Triangle, which is on YouTube and it's very good. So yeah, I, I probably should have kept that to myself. I didn't actually recommend something they wrote. Um, but yeah, a good pick. And it's funny how a lot of these songs seem to come from a place of talking about like, you know, high school culture and American like kind of teen movies and stuff that I don't know if it translates into reality for Irish students. I never really felt like I had a lot of those experiences. Experiences maybe like the one in this song. Nirvana with School, um, the Bleach version there. Um, live and Loud is very good as well. Any live version is pretty great from the Muddy Banks of Wish has really, really strong. Um, just, yeah, I guess with Dave Grohl on drums. Um, but ample evidence in that of Kurt Cobain being pretty good on guitar. I think he gets slept on a little bit. But this is like a great Jimmy Page kind of riff. It's just enormous. Uh, it's pretty magical and it's that well-trodden ground of Kurtz where it's talking about how oppressive school could be and you know he did have a tough upbringing in Aberdeen Washington felt like the total outsider the total opposite of popular Um, and references in this song as well to how he felt then that the grunge scene that was exploding at the time felt quite similar like it was just this repeating you know reoccurring cycle and it was very clicky and um, he couldn't find his place even when he was in the biggest band in the world. But it's so visceral. Uh, his kind of trothy roar is incredible. Um, and it captures like the no recess refrain is just like, oh God, it's like that dread of just like this oppressive thing of like an entire school day locked up. I think it nails that really well. It's a total roar. Friend of the show, Zara Hedeman, messaged me on this very day of recording, Craig, and asked me the question, what huge band, huge artist, did you get into later in life? 
because her mm. shout was Nirvana for her. Mine is actually Nine Inch Nails. My beloved Nine Inch Nails. I actually didn't get into them until like 2007, by which point they were about to head off to like their first kind of the band's over for a while. He didn't get a full on studio album from then until 2013, like a new material. So yeah, I wasn't exactly there for the heyday of that kind of stuff. Is there anybody for you that you were like years after the fact? Steely Dan, I'm in the oh, midst of Oh, of course. Of it. We're I living in a wondrous age. You walked straight into that, Dave. I won't talk you through what I'm listening to of the Dan oeuvre at the moment. But yeah, they're one that like, it took a long time to click and I'm glad it did. And you're glad you asked, aren't you? Oh, delighted. Yeah. I, I Kind of a reverse effect for me. Not that I was like a gigantic fan, but there was an artist that I had in my top five here originally and I couldn't quite justify it to get her in. So I was going to have Lord in here actually with like Tennis Court because it has a line about like, you know, be the class clown, the beauty queen. Yeah. And obviously it would have been written around the time when she was like fucking 16 or something. But Perfect. I was like going, I was. it's an excellent song. I love that first album. I just do not like anything about the second one. Um, but essentially it's like, well, not anything, but I don't like it a lot. Essentially I was like, this could work, you know, because obviously she was in school, you know, when she was writing all these bangers and like, you know, became a fucking star at such a young age and blah, 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 blah. But I was like, I don't know if that actually qualifies. Like, I don't know if I can like crowbar this in, especially because later on my list, I've got a very tenuous choice. But for now, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll split the difference, right? And I'll go from Lord, who could be a classic pop act someday when all mm-hmm. is said and done, to a classic pop act that are still with us at number three. At school they taught me how to be Yes, of course, it's the Imperious Pet Shop Boys and It's a Sin, like fucking widescreen, skyscraping, amazing pop music, just like two of the best guys to ever do it. This song, yeah. Neil, Neil Tennant describes some impressions he got from his time at the Catholic St. Cuthbert's High School in Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, he, the lyrics, you know, at school they taught me how to be so pure in thought and word and deed they didn't quite succeed which of course points to the Pet Shop Boys and their, I guess, what would have been deemed an alternative demon-esque lifestyle, you know, like like mm. back then. And perhaps, unfortunately, in some corners of the world, still very much thought to be the case. But he ended up feeling that everything he had done or was going to do in life was adjudged to be a sin. And therefore, he was, you know, sentenced to burn in hell for the rest of his life. But, you know, they got the last laugh by producing not just this, but countless fucking incredible pieces of music. Yeah, um, so euphoric and also really literate. Just the lyrics are spot on. Um, really, really good. This, the melody to this is skyscraping, as you say. It also ev- evokes, there's evokes again for, for me, um, a Cat Stevens' Wild World. And I think I'm one of the few people around my age that actually likes Cat Stevens. So that's another plus. Um, check out Cat Stevens' Wild World. Uh, well, they yeah. were they were accused of plagiarism, actually, by Jonathan King, and we'll swiftly move on there. But essentially, oh, okay. he, uh, Neil Tennant, when he was talking about 
uh, writing the song, he said he wrote the lyrics purging his emotions in a moment of frustration and anger, but it wasn't meant to be something ultra serious. He said people took it really seriously. The song was written in about 15 minutes. It was intended as a camp joke, and I, it wasn't something I consciously took all that seriously myself. Sometimes I wonder if there was more to it than I thought at the time. But the local parish priest in Newcastle delivered a sermon on it and reflected on how the church changed from the promise of a ghastly hell to the message of love. Um, there are sounds in the song recorded at locations like Westminster Cathedral, which I guess is another cool way of getting their own back there. The video, of course, is full of religious imagery as well. Hugely massive production in general. There's an interesting kind of footnote to this where Pet Shop Boys around the time uh, had stated that they were keen for Stock, Aiken and Waterman to produce the song as they were huge fans. Uh, Neil Tennant mm. said that Pete Waterman hated the demo and so they had to go to someone else. <laughs> so they knew it was good. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's um, so out of all that adversity, uh, a total triumph of a song. Uh, okay, uh, for my number two, less triumphant, more still beautiful, but more tentative, hopeful, uh, unsure. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Won't you let me meet you at the Big Star with 13. Um, a tremendous, tremendous band I've loved for years. A cult band uh, from Memphis. They were operating in the early 70s. Um, it was really a partnership between Alex Chilton, who's immortalised in the replacement song of the same name, uh, who was kind of a teen star um, doing kind of R&B pop stuff. He then teamed up with Chris Bell, who brought this like Beatles-y melodic influence to it. And the pair of them should have been like a Lennon-McCartney. They should have been massive. Uh, the record this is off is called Number One Record. It went on to sell like, I don't know, under 10,000 copies or something like that at a time when, you know, albums were shifting a whole lot around about 72. Uh, this song's on it and it's absolutely haunting, totally yearning. Um, of course, the, you know, 13 in the title is the age of the narrator and it's it's one of the great walking to and from school, I guess, songs. Um, and totally encapsulates the kind of unsurety of that age. It's great references to like, you know, tell tell your dad to get off my back. Tell him what we said about Paint It Black and just, you know, at a time when the Rolling Stones were still like, uh, you know, saying you liked them was an act of youthful rebellion. Uh, it's so sweet. The backing harmonies just totally make it. Um, and it gets me every time. It's really, really good. Band kind of no- went nowhere, became a cult hit. Chris Bell sadly passed away at like 27, I think is crashed his car in the late 70s and Alex Chilton never quite like a lot of artists were um talked about how much in his death they were but yeah never hit it big but we've still got great music and this is this is a great starting point it's just a terrific song number two for me it's time to get contentious Craig let's see how you feel about this one and I tried it my Teach 
So, that is from a film, Craig. Now, that's an actress by the name of Rafi Cassidy playing a character called Celeste Montgomery. The song is called Wrapped Up. The film is Vox Lux, which is from two years ago. And the reason I have chosen this is because in the film, right, this character of Celeste is the victim of a school shooting in the opening scenes of the film, very harrowingly, effectively done. She survives. She performs this song at a town vigil for the victims. And there's like media present. So as you may have already figured out where this is going, uh, she ends up becoming a huge fucking pop star uh, out of it. Now, before I go any further on this one, right, the songs for the film were written by a very prominent songwriter. Do you have any guesses whatsoever as to who that sounded like? Um, T-Swift? Not quite, but you're in a ballpark-ish. Think more like a mysterious European, perhaps. Um, Mr. Robin? Sia. Oh, Sia. Okay alongside greg kirsten now so uh, this is a really really good scene in the movie it's about half an hour in she's in this church and like i'll get into the song in a second but like willem dafoe does the voiceover in this movie and if you can get willem dafoe to do a voiceover for your movie i think that you probably should do that so at the end of it there you know uh, he says at the advice of a producer celeste would change the lyric from i to we and shortly thereafter the entire country fell in step with her sentiment it was not her grief it was theirs no longer merely her experience they reclaimed it as their own over the course of the following year the song will become an anthem for the nation simply put it was a hit now there's there's echoes of columbine in this movie there's echoes of like american media around this time uh, in terms of the film it's kind of a tale of two halves like i was i, I think the first hour is excellent it's directed by a director called brady corbay uh, who also made childhood of a leader which is pretty pretty good but then like natalie portman who's the poster girl for the movie shows up in the second half as the adult version of this character and the film kind of takes a bit of a stumble it doesn't have the ending that it should have either but there's an awful lot in it i think in terms of like how we treat media how we turn tragedy into this commodity you know and those lyrics, I, I like it because this song for me at once is both really bad and kind of good. I mean, there's even like a lyric there where she says, uh, epic fail, save me from myself. And it's like, of course, yeah. a fucking shell shock teenager would, w- wouldn't be like an amazing wordsmith at that time, given what she's been through. So yeah, so because it's born out of a horrendous tragedy, one that's always, you know, media fodder, like it's like something that people will fucking click on every single day. I mean, the film's got a lot of really, really good ideas. I think it pulls off most of them and the more i thought about songs this week and i was trying to get outside the box here i thought well that kind of makes sense in my head yeah it does you're not having it are you <laughs> i am having it i think it's in the it's in the universe it hits a, yeah it takes a lot of boxes i'll allow it um all right okay and that's very up to date and who says i'm not up to date those people For my number one, uh, let's get super fresh, Dave. Let's go right up to 2004. Right, 
Franz Ferdinand as they live and breed with Dark of the Matinee, a song which I might make a case for as being like their most accomplished best song. Uh, even over Take Me Out. I think there's something really special about it. Um, it's Alex Cabranas doing his kind of prime, like Jarvis Cocker, very literate lyrical thing. Um, it's another song about walking to and from school. It's about academic factories, not psychedelic factories, which I, I misheard for absolutely years. Um, but yeah, I love this. I think his vocal on it's brilliant. I think it captures that feeling and that moment so well. And Franz Ferdinand were great and not at all Anvil. I was about to say, yeah. I mean, that first album, <laughs> yeah. that, that first album is excellent. I think it holds up really, really well today. I kind of wish they were one and done. It's funny that you said where. They're still going, Greg. <laughs> like, I mean, they're still like... Oh, uh, yeah. And just, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I, I like some of their return stuff. I think they continue to roll out um, very, very good music, but it doesn't quite have that spark. Uh, one and done might be a little harsh. But there's something really weird about this song, right? So the video, if you recall it, Dave, had, you know, there's a verse of them appearing like in fantasy form on a Terry Wogan chat show. It has that scene, but it also has lots of clips of them like dancing around the school. Um, Franz Ferdinand at the time, like a band of blokes in their 30s. And now we kind of think, okay, was that a bit weird of them in like school uniforms and stuff? I was reading the Wikipedia, right? And it says that Capranus wanted to shoot the video in the corridors of Beersden Academy, which is the secondary school he went to. Uh, he approached the school who, while initially receptive, ultimately rejected the idea, as the idea of schoolboys in their early 30s was too reminiscent of the recent scandal involving Brian Mc McKinnon. And I was like, oh God, this is going to go very, very dark, right? Do you remember this story at all? Some Scottish dude, Brian McKinnon. Okay, so I looked it up. Brian McKinnon caused an international storm when, aged 30, he returned to Beerson Academy in 1993 as a teenage student called Brandon Lee. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he now insists on living a shadowy twilight uh, life where he's at constant risk of attack. He like, got into conspiracy stuff. But yeah, the story broke in 1995, right, after he spent two years at this former school, which Capranus also went to, posing as a 16-year-old Canadian student in a bid to gain six hires and a place to study medicine at Dundee University. So he was in it for the education. He managed to stay in the school as a 30-year-old bloke for two years. And apparently it was, ex was exposed during a summer trip after he was arrested following a brawl in a Tenerife bar. And they found he had two passports, his real one and the other one belonging to a Brandon Lee. And yeah, I was like, what? What? Well, only lads in their 30s start brawls famously. But hang on, Brandon Lee, as in like Brandon Lee of the Crow fame. May he yeah, rest in same peace. same name. Uh, I don't know if that was the inspiration. But Jesus. Um, yeah, he went back to get his exams. I remember, back in, um, I remember back in my school, in secondary school, we had like non-uniform day every now and then. And most people were just wearing like football jerseys and stuff. I swear to God, man, one kid came in dressed as the fucking Crow one day. And I was like, uh, <laughs> where, where, where's this going? Like, was thankfully, it, nothing happened. Was it out? Yeah, was it out of the blue? Was it kind of in character? Was it... I, I didn't really stick around okay. to find out, you know? Fair, um, fair, fair. What was your biggest fashion, uh, you know? Did you have those, like, those rip-away tracksuit bottoms, you know? Like yeah, those? I had the rip-aways up until about 11 or 12. I think I even had a few articles of, like, FUBU clothing. There was some of that tracky wear. But then I'd say by, I, th I think you know this, by age, like, 14, 15... 
I was kind of starting to wear suits, <laughs> skinny jeans. Uh, I was pioneering the skinny jeans thing. At 14 was... and 15. Like, I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> How cool was he, folks? I don't know. Okay, look, listen, let's wrap up this list. Number one for me. So wake up late for school, man, you don't want to go. Yeah, ask your mom, please. But she still says no. You missed two classes and no Absolutely. What? <laughs> what? It's just a really good song, isn't it, Craig? Oh, man. Yes, it is. It shouldn't work, but it works. It's the best at doing that specific thing. The Beastie Boys were so good, weren't they? Tremendous. Topping and tailing oh. our list this week. Unplanned. Beastie Boys. Incredible. You Incredible. gotta fight for your right to party. You gotta fight for your right to host this show, Craig. That's how it works these days. We're up against each other right. <laughs> every single week. I don't know. Patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help support the show. It goes an awful long way. This episode of No Encore was, of course lovingly created by sonic architect adam i should note by the way i don't know like if this will appear but we've we've had more than one breakdown in recording today all three of us have managed to fucking <laughs> lose the run of ourselves at different times there have been technical problems i was saying before oh i was saying before the recording i was like i'm absolutely wrecked you're absolutely wrecked like we're all fucking in and out of whatever i feel like there's something weird happening in, in the air i don't know what it is but like <laughs> I hope I hope, <laughs> I, I hope I hope it sounds okay. Uh it's been it's been what it's been, Craig. What have you been listening to? Um there's a new Anony song um called RNC twenty twenty, which is like a protest against Trump and that whole convention. And the lyrics are very on the nose, but the sonics of it are so abrasive and like right on, I'm like fully behind it. Jasmine Sullivan's back. Um a really a talented uh, Philadelphia artist, singer, um, R&B star in the making. Hopefully, Lost One is the single. It sounds really, really good. Her album, Reality Show, from like five years ago now, was absolutely brilliant and everyone should check it out. But yeah, hopefully she hasn't lost too much momentum because she deserves to be huge. I have been listening to Personal History, the debut album from Alvaretti, which drops, I think, at the 2nd of October. Same day as the new Corey Taylor album, which I've also been Ooh. listening to. There's a lot going on. I've been listening to the new Matt Berninger album that's coming out soon. Uh, Alvaretti, though, uh, there will be an upcoming interview with her. We're going to go through her album. Uh, I'm hoping to do a few of those, actually, kind of hopefully standalone interviews, depending on who I can get and how we can do it in this uncertain time of social, you know, kind of occasion. But I'm hoping to put some stuff together. There's lots of really good Irish albums coming in the next few months and keep an ear to know encore for more on those hopefully uh i've also been listening to child soldier creator of god the debut solo album from dillinger escape plan frontman greg pucciato which drops at the end of october and if you're into dillinger escape plan if you're into the black queen you should like it it's 15 tracks long it's got some really interesting pop elements alongside greg's usual incredible brutal vocal style and I, I i'm enjoying it so far and i will say craig day of this podcast recording i'm enjoying much more than the film itself uh tenet the score by ludwig gjordensen which is on spotify now and it's a fucking overwhelming sonic barrage and unlike when you're trying to watch really bad characters spout dialogue that you can't fucking hear it's been pretty good to have on 
Uh, nice pronunciation there, Dave. Um, very I went, well. Handled. I went for it. Yeah, I went for it. Yeah, <laughs> you did, and you pulled it off. Uh, I think I might still go and see Tenet just because. Yeah, even me that never goes to the cinema just because it's been so long. I think I need that experience, even if it's an absolute mess. All right, report back next week. This show has been an absolute mess, but a good one, I hope. My name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. The other guy here was Adam Shanahan. Go check out his music is my fault. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore, and we're back next week, hopefully. Wine and more, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rose? A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total wine and more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.